Yeah. Buffalo, stand up. It's the mafia. <laughs> uh, it's a Bill City. Yeah. A Buffalo Bill City. Yo. Uh, it's a Bill City. Yeah. A Buffalo Bill City. Yo. We got Josh Allen, got Step Diggs, we got Cole. Deion Dawkins, cause you know it's about to snow. Mafia, you know we on a roll. No competition and it's not even close. Folks, welcome into a brand new episode of the Folding Roundtable, the Buffalo Sports Podcast from Trainwreck Sports and the Buffalo fan base. The Bills, particularly the defense led by A.J. Epinesa and Greg Rousseau, bounce back in a big way after week one, and we have another matchup against a solid defense in Washington. Got a lot to talk about tonight, so let's get into it. But obviously, first, let me introduce everyone at tonight's table. I am your host, Wake Jotkins from Trainwreck Sports, the Crowdus' podcast, and Trainwreck Fantasy Football. My partner in crime from the cap, Kevin Masseri, is here. Uh, Robin Mundy, godmother of Bills, Mafia, editor-in-chief for the Buffalo Fanbase blog. Mookie Hawkins from Power 96.5 FM, WUFO 1080 AM, and Nate Geary, WGR 550. This is going to be one hell of a bunch tonight, I can already tell. It's going to be a great one. Before we get into the matchup against Washington this weekend, let's take a step back. Look at the Dolphins game a little bit. Robin, I want to start with you because last week you brought up something pretty interesting, just about maybe Josh Allen's, uh, you know, mindset of this season. He's always been the underdog. He's never been, you know, a favorite for really anything. No D1 offers. Now suddenly he's a favorite for the Super Bowl, one of the top three or four teams for it. So after watching another game in 2021 for Josh Allen, how do you think he's handling it? Did you see a little bit of growth from him from week one uh, to week two? A little from week one to week two, but he's he's still got to calm down. Um, he gets, I think his press conference was quite telling. I, I wrote about um, the etiology of his hero ball on the blog. And I think some of it is his desire to win, but some of it is also, I think about this big contract. Mm -hmm. um, he came from a farming community in a rural area. And one day he just fell into 150 million guaranteed, mm -hmm. I think. And, you know, we all know that we all know yeah. that, that pain. Yeah. Oh yeah. Buy it a nickel. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and as much as he wants to say, and he has, you know, oh, it's okay, I'm still the same guy, whatever. I mean, it. no, you know, it, it's an adjustment. It's a huge, huge adjustment. And more than anything, he has said it in his press conferences, he wants to win. He wants a Super Bowl for Buffalo more than anybody can imagine. And now he's getting the money. Now he's got to step up to the plate. And I think that in part is what's happening along with his tendency to um, sometimes get a little too amped up before games start. And he talked about that some as well. You know, he listens to music, that sort of thing. But mm -hmm. I, 
I see him settling down like this, this press conference he had on Wednesday, I thought was really good in mm -hmm. terms of there were a few things that he said that I thought were, were quite revealing in terms of, you know, I made a couple plays that I got real frustrated with. I shouldn't have. That's him recognizing that he's, that he's got to get his mentals as Marshawn Lynch would say um, in order. And his chickens. Yeah. And his chickens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And his chickens. <laughs> you know, Nate, thanks for being here. You haven't been on a program with me on Trainwreck Sports since I believe draft night coverage. So that's back in mm. April now. Ooh. So it's been a minute. Excited to talk about this with you again. <laughs> but Josh Allen, after two weeks, you know, I want to get all of our, I want to gauge everybody's panic meter right now. I want to scale of one to 10. Where's your panic meter on Josh Allen? It's so low that I I feel <laughs> exactly yeah I okay. almost feel I feel I feel obligated to to be the guy that says my my panic meter is so low but I was out of this group of people probably the biggest hater of Josh when he came in so it's funny how I've become this yeah um you know almost voice of reason like just everybody just take a chill pull I'm on the overtime show um, on Sunday. And I, I feel, I feel the obligation to just tell everybody like we're two games into a really, sh really long football season, the longest football season, like literally ever. Um, so <laughs> with that said, we're talking about a guy who is coming off of the greatest quarterback season in franchise history, which this isn't Cleveland. This isn't, um, this isn't other organizations that haven't had Hall of Fame quarterbacks bless us with their presence. Like this, the greatest quarterback season ever, considering that this franchise adopted and is known for the K gun and the passing offense in a, in a non passing era, should tell you everything you need to know about what he was able to accomplish in 2020. However, I think part of the issue that is existing with the expectations and the judgment of Josh Allen comes from a place that I think we probably rose the bar too high for Josh Maybe. Allen. And a little that's our fault. And a little of that is the competition's fault because, you know, his two best games from 2020 came against teams riddled with injuries. Thinking about that San Francisco game, they basically had Fred Warner and nobody else. Um, and, it's hard to judge a player on a team that basically was just decimated with injuries. And then you want to add in the Denver Broncos game, who yeah. was a also a team decimated with injuries, who was playing for nothing at the time. So, and was Brandon Allen starting a quarterback? No, it was Drew Locke, right? No, no it, was it was Brandon Allen. Allen. Yeah. So forgive me for saying that <laughs> we should not be judging a quarterback on the performances he had against teams that had nothing to play for. And we're riddled with injuries. So I think it's an unfair standard to hold him to that, that he's supposed to be scoring 56 points a game against the <laughs> league's best defenses. And see what you will about Miami. Josh Allen is Miami's daddy. And that should just be said. It should just be acknowledged that they probably aren't going to beat Josh Allen very many times over the course of Josh Allen's career. It's a bad matchup for Josh Allen. However, did anybody else here feel like that should have been a 60-point game? Kind of. It's kind right. of amazing it was only 35. And I will say, although although Dolphins fans would like to tell you that it's because their defense is so good that it held Josh Allen to 35 points. It's literally a tweet that I got. There is something to be said. That was a literal tweet that I got from a Dolphins fan. Great. Unbelievable. But I will I will say this. 
is that is the best secondary in football. Oh, easily. It is. And just because their scheme does not match up well against what the Bills do offensively doesn't take away from the fact that I'd be really interested to know over the last two years, this year and, and, and the year before, what the average points per game are against the Bills and the rest of the league. The, the Bills' point-per-game average against the Dolphins skews yep. their numbers so poorly <laughs> in the wrong direction that they look like a mediocre defense. That defense was the number one scoring defense outside of the Bills, the two Bills games last year in 2020. So that should tell you everything you need to know about that matchup. So the Bills could have probably scored 55, 60 points in that game. It felt like they should have. The reason they didn't is because of how good those all pro corners, Byron Jones and Xavier Howard are. So um, I think out of the first two weeks, they played two really unfortunately good matchups. And I say that in a win that they, they shut out the opponent 35, nothing. And that maybe is the thing I want to just overarchingly say is, they won 35 to nothing. <laughs> like, guys, I'm everybody in this in 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 in, in, in on this podcast right now right now knows mm-hmm. I am not the kind of guy that pats backs to pats back to pat backs. I am not mm-hmm. a homer as much as I'd love to be. Yeah, I am critical yeah. when it's necessary. Of course. Stop being critical of a 35 nothing shutout. Stop looking into <laughs> Thank the practices you. Oh that you God. could that you want to look into. Take it at face value. The quarterback said it before all of us could. He knew he played a poor game. He knew that the statistics were not going to reflect the way that all of us wanted them to look. But let's just take a 35 nothing win at face value, for God's sakes. And yeah. to that, I'll take a beer. And to that, you'll drink a beer. And to that, I'll bring in the final member of the roundtable tonight. Uh, we do have someone. Don't boo this man. Please don't boo him. He's behind no. enemy lines. He doesn't covering. cover the Dolphins. He's fine. He does not cover the Dolphins. We were okay with him. Uh, he covers Washington football team for NBCS Washington. Also writes for The Athletic. Has a show talking baseball on MLB Network Radio. And he was also a play-by-play announcer for the XFL last year. A genuine draft of all trades. Grant Paulson. Grant, thank you so much for being here, man. We're excited to talk some Washington football team with you. How's your Thursday going? Thanks, guys. Pumped up, ready to get some football tonight and get week three started. Awesome, awesome. Well, give us give us a, a recap of weeks one through two for the football team. Obviously, uh, not winning week one against the Chargers, coming out narrowly ahead of the New York Giants in Thursday night football last week, a game that will surely be better than the shit show we have to watch on there tonight. Uh, how, let's start with the No love for Davis Mills, man. No, love. no love for Mills Mafia. I'm sorry. But Taylor Heineke has <laughs> been getting a lot of love in the Twitter sphere lately. You know, is, is a lot of people are saying this is a guy we can't take lightly going into Sunday. Would you agree? <laughs> Yeah, he's played really well, and we've seen him now play four times dating back to last December. He came off the bench in week 16, garbage time, couple of drives, marched them down the field to the goal line twice and for points once. And uh, then the following week, uh, he wasn't needed. They had Alex Smith back, and they clinched the division. And then one week later in the playoffs, Smith was banged up again, and they opted to go with Heineke, and he had a marvelous game against the Bucks. Uh, to kick off the postseason. I mean, in fact, Washington may have given Tampa Bay its best run for its money in terms of the offense and the output that they had. So that was kind of the backdrop coming into the year. He's an undrafted guy out of Old Dominion University in Virginia, which most people <laughs> haven't heard of. It's certainly not a football power. It's not a Division One school. So you're fighting an uphill battle if you're him to, to prove your legitimacy because, you know, if a, a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers has a dud like he does in week one or 
Josh Allen struggles like he has for a couple weeks after making, you know, a couple hundred million bucks, it's not a big deal. But you're Taylor Heineke and you have a bad game. Everyone says, see, I told you so. This guy shouldn't be starting. So uh, we're all curious to see. He gets a, a real test here against Buffalo. Number two defense in the NFL through a couple of games. They've been getting after the quarterback. Uh, they've obviously got a, a talented secondary, one of the better corners in the league. So he's, he's going to fill out the Scantron here for the first time, really, against an uh, upper echelon defense, and we'll see what comes back. But yeah, the, the big question coming into the year was the Washington offense. The, the idea was their defense is sensational. They'll be top five or so in the league. They were number two last year. And through two games, their defense has been a disaster and a little bit of a mess. And their offense has actually, at least in week two, been superior. So we're just – Still trying to get a beat on exactly what this team is right now. Grant, I could tell you're a millennial with that Scantron comment, so I appreciate that. <laughs> um, secondly, <laughs> um, I'm glad you mentioned the defense and sort of how people are viewing them. I, for one, like in maybe every dynasty and fantasy league that I'm in, which is plenty, I was like buying, Wait, buying, 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 buying <laughs> Washington's defense everywhere I could. And I think so far the feedback or the criticism I'm hearing from people talking about why this Washington defense maybe isn't what people thought is a, the schedule against the quarterbacks they played in the 2020 season, much like it's hard to much like the first two games, the bills have played and much like the first four games, the bills are going to play. The bills aren't going to play really any good quarterback. So if they end up the number two scoring defense in the league, as they head into Kansas city, is that a true litmus test? The same thing can be said about Washington were the quarterbacks they played in 2020, maybe not a true barometer of how good they were. And secondly, the criticism I keep hearing is that teams have figured out the pass rush moves of, of chase young. And he's, Mm. he's a young player. He's dynamic and he's the most, one of the more athletic edges in the league, but he's not really the most dynamic in terms of like overall his pass rush plan, that it's not a really big book. It's a simple book. And maybe teams have, have picked that up in the off season. Yeah, so a couple of things. I mean, I thought first and foremost, frankly, they're they're defensively. I thought they were a little bit over talked about last year. The numbers were there, like in that they were number two in yards and in scoring. They were top five. They did a lot of things well. Uh, however, to your point, you just look at the quality of the opponents. It was a fairly soft schedule, and specifically the quarterback position. This is something I harped on all off season. It became kind of an invoke thing nationally here, real late. But, I mean, I could rattle them off for you. The wins they had last year and some of their suffocating defensive performances that coincided with those wins, like we're talking about – I'll just go through it. Week one, they beat Carson Wentz. We found out soon enough that he was broken. Uh, They also beat the Cincinnati Bengals when Joe Burrow got hurt. He was torching them, by the way. He was like 18 of 22. He goes down in that game, tears his ACL. Ryan Finley comes in, and they feasted on him. Uh, There was an Eagles game where they were really struggling with Jalen Hurts. Uh, in the end of the year, they would have lost to the Eagles probably. They benched him and went to Nate Sudfeld on national TV, I, I guess, to predict uh, pr- protect their draft position. I'm not really sure. Uh, they beat San Francisco on a neutral site when Nick Mullins was playing. They didn't even deal with Jimmy Garoppolo. They beat um, – yeah, uh, well, another of the games that was really interesting last year was they, they beat Pittsburgh where Roethlisberger had started to scuffle. Uh, and they All did right. that like four days after like the, the Steelers had just played the Ravens because a COVID game got pushed back. So uh, not to take away from everything they accomplished, it sounds like I am, but I mean, it's just, it's not excuses. It's kind of explanations. It's just, it's just context. It yeah, it's just yeah, context. Exactly. Context it's just matters. info, right? So all that happens in, in their defensive top five and, and everyone says, oh, they're going to be great. Well, 
they really didn't make much in terms of adjustments this year. Uh, they drafted Jamin Davis at 19th overall. He doesn't play half of their snaps right now. He's been a large disappointment for them to this point. They're trying to get him up to speed. So you'll see, see him, I would say, like maybe 35 40% of the time. Uh, they, they went and signed William Jackson at corner. He's had one really good game, one really bad game. Um, and, and they need him to be great because he's essentially their number one. They kicked their top corner last year, Kendall Fuller, into the nickel inside. And they have a rookie third-round pick, Benjamin St. Juice from Minnesota, starting on the outside. It's kind of big, long, physical guy. Really struggled in week number one against the Chargers. Didn't get thrown at nearly as much in week two, luckily. Uh, so it looked a lot better. But just the adjustments they made on defense, like those guys haven't shined. And they're just playing a better collection of quarterbacks this year and teams. I mean, you, you talk about Justin Herbert in week one, and while Daniel Jones is not necessarily anything to write home about, he's had their number for a long time. I mean, he, if you look at his splits in his career against Washington and against everyone else, it's staggering. So that's <laughs> kind of where they're at defensively right now. Uh, obviously, Allen has not played well. The, the Bills' offense isn't clicking yet, but they present some real problems. Daniel Jones ran for 95 yards with like 20 yards taken away via penalty last week. Uh, should have had a touchdown that was taken off the board, had another rushing touchdown that was held up. So Josh Allen might be able to make some plays with his feet. And then I'll just be real quick on Chase Young. You know, He does not have a lot of moves. He's a really, really good player. He's very strong. He's very sat fast. He's number two overall pick. He was the defensive rookie of the year. He deserved those exploits. But if you're, you're talking about like an assortment of moves or versatile uh, collection to go to where he's beating you with this move or that move, it doesn't happen. So he's sackless on the year. He had seven and a half last year. You would think based on the conversation, he had like 15. And he gets some pressures and does some good things. He impacts the running game a ton. He'll get TFLs and blow some stuff up. Really, really good player. Like people talked about him as a DPOY all offseason. They're talking about him as like the, the defensive player of the year. That's silly. You know, he's coming off seven and a half sacks. Like that, that I know what that looks like. It's Aaron Donald. It's TJ Watt. Like he yeah. just hasn't become that guy yet. That's not a crime. But I think people just they, – they heard the word generational and him being the second pick, and so they kind of started slapping that on him. Do I think ultimately he could win a DPOY? I really do. I think he's that skilled and athletic and talented. But he's just not there yet. He hasn't proven it. So hopefully he'll have his 2021 coming out party. I know you guys don't like hearing that uh, sooner <laughs> than not, but, uh, but, but he'll need to. I mean, again, he's looking for sack number one on the season, uh, and he, they just need a bigger impact from him than, than he's given them. And you talk about the corners there, and, you know, obviously I've been thinking that Dawson Knox could be in for a, a good game this week. He's looked strong in the first two seasons, the Bills, or first two weeks so far, dropping less passes, and, you know, he's been more effective in the action he's gotten. Is tight end an area of liability on, on, on the football team's defense? Do you think that we could see a big Dawson Knox week, or do you think if the, if the Bills do uh, gash up this defense, it'll be more the receivers? Yeah, it's only been an area, an issue for Washington defensively for like basically the last twenty years. So everything okay. should be fine. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, kidding aside, though. I mean, Jared Cook had a huge week one, um, and that I mean, he's you would think at his age, you know, that wouldn't have happened. Now the Giants, in fairness, Evan Ingram didn't go, so they didn't have the personnel they may have wanted. They kind of threw from the outside the numbers in. Uh, there wasn't much tight end involvement, but yeah, right now their coverage. Uh, defensively, it's going to have some holes in it at linebacker. They just, it, it's a tough thing for them to try to get guys covered. Uh, I thought that's why they drafted Jamin Davis. I'm not sure why quite yet, but he hasn't gotten up to speed at this point, maybe enough to use him in that way. So they're using John Bostic, who's uh, pretty well traveled, played with the Bears, and has came here in his second year here. He's 
awesome leader, good player, good in the locker room, but that's not his strength. Uh, one guy to keep in mind is Cam Curl. They like to move him down inside. He was a seventh-round pick last year out of the SEC and had a sensational rookie year and has been really, really good through two weeks. But oftentimes he's covering receivers in today's NFL. You see a lot more three, four-receiver sets. So I would probably on Knox play him a bunch because he's their best chance to slow a tight end down. Um, but overall, I would say, yeah, if, if I'm a Bills fan, I would look for him. And I also like to match up for Diggs a lot this weekend, frankly. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't think they're going to be traveling. They don't have a corner probably good enough to travel with Diggs. Uh, and they move him all over so well anyway. So he'll be inside working on Fuller a little bit from time to time. There was a time with the Vikings, by the way, when he was in the slot and caught like 14 balls at FedEx Field a few years ago. Um, but uh, when he's outside, I mentioned Jackson. He's coming off a game where he gave up a touchdown, had a PI, had another touchdown he gave up. That was probably more of a miscommunication with the safety than just him being burnt. Uh, he was good in the first week, but either him or the, the kid St. Juice playing in his third game on the outside, that's a really hard challenge. So I think Diggs is in for a nice day too. Absolutely. And you, I mean, you can't forget Landon Collins there either as the box safety as well. So it's an, it's an interesting defensive scheme. And um, so it's interesting that they may struggle in that communication with, would you say that those two are similar type of safeties that they have with, you know, needing to drop Collins into the box, help with run. He struggled this year from the film I've watched personally. Um, I mean, is that a total encompassing safety issue there? I mean, I, I know curls played really well at times and he's been, it has he's been really good rookie year. Yeah. I, I really, really like curl. I think he's awesome. Yeah. Um, and part of it maybe is he was a seventh round pick. So the, you know, the expectations were low, but he just flashes constantly. Uh, Collins, it's, it's been a really frustrating time for him here. I would guess. I mean, obviously he tore his Achilles last year. His comeback was incredible guys. I mean, he, to, to be back on the field already now is stunning. And he was back for the first preseason game. I mean, he played in the exhibition games, which blew everybody away. So I'm rooting like heck for the guy. He worked his butt off to get back, but if you look at what he makes, which when he signed, I think was the highest rate for a safety in the league and kind of how often you notice him during games, like those two things don't quite mesh. I think he and curl are somewhat redundant in, in what they're good at. Although, as I said, they use curl more in coverage now because uh, he has been more apt in that regard, but um, you know, they need Lane and Collins to just show up a little more than he does in, in terms of big plays, like something where you notice him, he's blowing up a run or, or what have you. But yeah, with him, you want him in the box. You want him kind of as an extra linebacker, so to speak. You don't want him taking away half of a field or playing center field deep, nothing like that. No, you have. Do you know? Do you have any injury issues in Washington right now? I noticed Iadonis on the injury report. I know a rotational defensive lineman. I know Gibson's appeared there. Is there any worry there? Any with anybody? I mean, obviously, I know you have Samuel on IR, and you have obviously Ryan Fitzpatrick. But is there any other? You know, no. So notes? they're pretty healthy. Uh, you mentioned Fitzpatrick. Whether or not he gets his job back is is going to be determined by how Heineke plays. Yeah. Honestly, signed a one year deal, and Heineke's got some upside still at twenty seven. I think he is. Uh, Samuel is a huge component of this offense that we've never seen before. They signed him this off season for double digit million dollars a year. He's practiced two times. Uh, he just, they, they can't get him on the grass, even in practice, which has been brutal. He's on the IR right now. Hopefully he'll be back in a few weeks. Um, and then you mentioned Ionitis. He's actually, it's really, really good. He's their best pass rushing defensive lineman on the interior. Um, this is a guy who's gotten hurt a couple of times when he was on his way to 10 sacks as a down defensive lineman, which is really hard to do. And at that time yeah. they were in a, a 34 scheme and he was doing that, which is pretty incredible as a five tech. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think he'll go. He came back. He played in, in, 
I, I think he's just getting treatment. Uh, same with Gibson. He played through his shoulder issue. You guys will be impressed by him. He was a third-round pick out of Memphis. He was a wide receiver in college. They converted to running back, but you would never know it. Like, he runs like a thumper. Uh, he, he obviously can catch the ball to the backfield as a former Why are rider. they passing so much to McKissick then? As a, I was just going to ask that. As yeah, a big Antonio Gibson fantasy owner last yeah. week, oh, I'm wondering same. why the hell is J.D. McKissick out gaining? And, and, and why is he in every danger situation? They basically put they put Gibson between the twenty or outside of the twenties, and then McKissick goes inside the twenties. Yeah, it's interesting. So last year, J.D. McKissick caught. I'm pretty sure the number was 80 balls. Um, <laughs> this is what he. You know, I don't think it's going to be that way this year. I think his role will be minimized some comparatively, but they're really comfortable with him on passing downs. He, first of all, he's good, really good in pass pro. And you guys know this with like a young running back, sometimes that's the last thing to come. Now they do compliment Gibson in that area. And I think that they feel like he's made some really good strides. They, they say they're comfortable with him, but I think that's an asset McKissick provides. And it, it's just something he does well, they don't have to worry about. So he gets a lot of the third down look still. And as you said, you know, if they're in two minute, if they're, you know, end of half trying to go get a field goal or something, oftentimes McKissick and some of those choice routes, they really, really like the way he goes about his business. I think ultimately you'll see more Gibson in that way, but uh, right now he he hasn't given him a reason to take him off the field. He was phenomenal last year, and, and he's one for one this year. They didn't really use him in week one at all. It was the Gibson show, as you guys saw, but yeah. week two they needed to throw to the running backs a little more, and they, they built him into the game plan. You can't forget running back, though, without Jared yes, Patterson. Jared. A guy, oh a guy, we, a guy we've him. covered here. Um, we I've love covered that him. guy. Um, I know him, um, you know, I cover also cover university of Buffalo sports. Um, so he's a guy that's beloved here. Um, many thought, I mean, myself included, I thought he would have been a great pick in the sixth or seventh round for the bills oh, man. Um, with, with their depth issues here as well with that position, but talk about it. I mean, he didn't get to play last week after getting some snaps in week one. Is there a scheme thing there that they, that they didn't like is something he's doing wrong. Like talk to me about like why he wouldn't get in some thumper and carries. Cause he's, yeah. a, he's a workhorse. So a couple of things. I mean, number one, their offensive coordinator, Scott Turner, I happen to love this for the record. I'm not knocking him, but like, they're not a, a run heavy team. You know, I, I think what works in the league now is to throw the ball and, and you can kind of supplement the run with short passing, which he does a lot of. This is the guy that was in Carolina throwing it to Christian McCaffrey, right? I just mentioned they had a back catch 80 balls last year in McKissick, where they basically fucked off the, the waiver wire. So uh, that's part of their offense. And it's not necessarily a strength of, of Jared Patterson's, as you guys know. I will say that in the preseason, he was unbelievable. I mean, I, we went from at the start of training camp, like everyone just picks guys they like, and they're like, oh, he grew up a fan of the team in the in this area, and he's undersized, so we're all going to root for this little engine who could. And then he had two preseason games where he was the real deal, and he was awesome, and we're like, this dude has to make the roster, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So he actually had a really bad third preseason game where he dropped two passes, and it couldn't have mattered any less because he's already done enough to make the team. Uh, his first game, week one against the Chargers, he had two carries for nine yards. He had another nice run that I think got called back for a penalty. Why doesn't he carry the ball more is very simple. They don't run it a ton, and they they really want Antonio Gibson to, to be like a bell cow. So if you look through two games, he's got 33 carries. Well, that's not a ton. Like You're not getting fatigued if you're averaging 15, 16 a pop, which is kind of their sweet spot, I think, for him. Um, I think in games where script allows, like they're in the lead or – you know, they're able to, to just feed him and, and they're not being stopped. The Chargers couldn't stop the run in the second half. 
Uh, so Gibson got 20 carries, which tied his career high. Like you saw Patterson get a few in that game. This last week, they just didn't get to a point where they committed to the run. They didn't really need to. They were able to throw it. And so at no point did Gibson have to come off the field. He'll probably get two, three, four, five carries, you know, on a good day until something happens to Gibson. But if something were to happen to Antonio Gibson, McKissick would not get the touches. I mean, Patterson would be their ball carrier. And I'll be really excited to see what he did. He's a battering ram. He, you guys have seen him, obviously, from school, but he reminds me a lot of like a Maurice Jones-Drew type dude. Yes. Yeah. Like he's impossible uh-huh. to get to the ground. He, yes. 50, body lean. Like I really, people love this guy. They really, really do. Yeah, the first article I ever wrote for Trainwreck Sports was actually about Jared Patterson. I started out doing UB coverage, and I said he reminded me of Maurice Jones-Drew. So I love that you said oh, that's that. that's cool. That's really yeah. funny. Um, that's what it looks like, man. He just like – that body style is – it's not a fun thing to try to tackle, you know, like he, he, he really is physical. He's loaded the ground and he's, he's powerful and shifty. Like he's, he was fun to watch in August. He really was. Yeah. And, and you got to say like his recruiting story is amazing that his brother was the main attraction who's still his twin brother, still a really good linebacker in the university of Buffalo team and should carry them toward a Mac championship. But you know, he was basically said, Hey, I'll play at Buffalo if you bring my brother Jarrett along and go figure he's one of the best players in the university's history now. So wow. um it's 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 quite the story. He's been interviewed a couple times by people here and um he, he's a great guy. I mean, he's an incredible, credible story. And just he's always overcome the odds, and I think he's gonna do the same in Washington. I mean, I just just can't imagine there's a scenario where I don't see him on the field week twelve, week thirteen, week four. He's just always yeah. healthy and he just can take as many carries as you'll give him and he gets better in the game. It's incre- it's crazy. He gets better as the game goes on. Um, and he led, I mean, the university of Buffalo to being ranked just on his own. That's crazy. Well, Gibson, mm-hmm. look, it's super talented. And we, we think they may have a star in Antonio Gibson. Have you know, we were, you were mentioning yeah. uh, Nate about fantasy. I mean, I know in fantasy circles, people love the guy and they yeah. should, he's a multidimensional back and it's kind of what works now, but I will say that last year he had a turf toe thing. He's already been on the injury report each of the last two weeks with a shoulder issue. Like th- it seems to be, he's one of those guys, like I'll use a fantasy term, like where, who's always got a letter next to his name. He's always got like the P, you know, <laughs> the Q. So mm-hmm. like th- if he, if he does miss time, I think you're right. Like he's, he's waiting for his opportunity. And if, if they run the ball 18 to 20 times in a game where Gibson doesn't play, I think he'd get 14, 15, 16 of those carries. I really do. Mm. They won't be sorry. No, they won't be. How about this? That How about this? guy's talking about. Mm-hmm. Tyler Heineken is about to come to his first road game in Buffalo, who hasn't won a game, all right? We bombed out here against Pittsburgh. The defense played out of its mind in Miami. Do you think Tyler Heineken is going to be up for that challenge in Buffalo with that defensive line playing the way they played last week? And that home crowd. Yeah. I think it's going to be – so what we talked about how big of a test it's going to be, and I think it's a struggle for him this weekend. Um, but if I was Scott Turner, I wouldn't put it all on his plate. No, like, he dropped man. back I'm, – I'm pretty sure the number against the Giants was 46 passes. That can't happen again this week with this pass rush, the way they get home, their ability to come off the edge. You'd set him up for major failure, in my opinion. I would try to be more balanced with the running game, but also – you know, screen heavy, both out wide to Terry McLaurin, you know, running backs out of the backfield, catching footballs, McKissick, Gibson, and just try to make things easy for him specifically early on. I, I'm pretty sure you mentioned it just first road game. 
I think even his one start in 18 for the Panthers was at home. So I don't think he's done this since Old Dominion. And going to Orchard Park's not like playing at Maine or whoever you're playing when you're a monarch. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I it, look, especially, it, especially after a couple of blue lights and a couple of broken tables. Ah, exactly. <laughs> so he, uh, to me, you know, if, if he does find a way against this defense to play a really inspired good game. It's going to be the most impressive thing we've seen yet. It could change how I feel about him. I'm still <laughs> cautiously optimistic. You know, and I mean just for him continuing to play this year. I don't I don't think beyond that. But I'm, I'm skeptical, like like most people probably should be, you know, this early in his career with his background. But this is the biggest test yet. I, I think he's going to have his hands full. And how have the receivers made life easier or harder maybe on him? You know, I'm just – obviously I'm just box score watching right now. The one guy that's standing out to me, I thought he might have a bigger impact, especially with Curtis Samuel Hurt, is Diami Brown, the rookie that you guys drafted this year. I see 10 targets, only four catches. Pro Football Reference isn't saying that he has a drop in those. Uh, but, you know, either way, you know, a 40% catch rate on your targets isn't something that, you know, people are exactly going to be excited about. Um, obviously everyone knows scary Terry's one of the best receivers in the NFL just a few years into his career. Um, but behind him, I mean, we all know Logan Thomas here in Buffalo. He's another yeah. folklore bills mafia legend, honestly, at this point, um, you know, how, how did they set up Heineke for success? Do they kind of play into his skill set? Do you think? Yeah, they've done a really good job in that regard. So McLaurin's fantastic. I mean, you guys who play fantasy know him. He's one of the oh better God. receivers in the league. He's just a complete player. And I'll be honest, he's one of the, the best dudes I've ever uh, interviewed in sports, like just a complete pro, the opposite of what you're used to at wide out with like diva, kind of throw me the ball type stuff. Like he is not that guy at all. Um, so he's their number one. He's been marvelous. He caught 11 balls at career high last week. I think he was targeted 14 times. They didn't throw him the football officially, like an official target until the third quarter in week one, which is unexcusable and Wait, what? Uh, yeah, it was it's crazy. He had one <laughs> one target that was actually like a throwaway like 50 yards downfield in the second quarter and it was a penalty so they didn't even count it as a target. That's so it was true. the first drive of the third quarter between uh, wow. before he got the ball and, and Logan Thomas who you mentioned who's like the number 2 option in this offense. Yeah. Who's had an amazing renaissance since he he left there as an NFL player. He he went to Detroit kind of I think he caught 30 balls and then he came here last year. He was one of the better tight ends in the league. Honestly. Um he caught his first pass in week one, like with two minutes to go in the first half. So we, we just crushed the, the design all week long. Last week, first two plays, Logan Thomas, middle of the field, Terry McLaurin on a crossing route. And then, then you knew it was like, okay, they, they knew that they screwed up last week. Um, mm -hmm. As far as the receivers real quick, Yami Brown, I could think of a few of the incompletions just off the top of my head. When Heineke came off the bench, when Fitz got hurt, he got hurt on a first and 10 incompletion. Second and 10 and third and 10 on that drive were both throws to De'Ami Brown that were like sailed 10 feet over his head when he was cold off the bench. So there's two of them. There's a couple others he's made almost spectacular catches on that were too high. Um, so far, I, you know, I've been, I've been disappointed with the production because he had such a huge camp in preseason, but mm -hmm. I've been impressed with what I've seen. Like he's uber athletic. He's made some great catches in the middle of the field going up the ladder had a 22-yard grab for their first first down when they were kind of stuck in neutral last week on a second and four uh, on a little dig route where he, he went up and got it and turned it upfield for a handful of yards. He can play. You know, you can see it. It's twitchy, burst. He's got like that wide receiver two makeup that you kind of look for, and he's got speed. Um, otherwise, you know, without Samuel, they've been looking for other guys to step up, and the guy who did last week was Adam Humphreys. 
yeah. former Buck, uh, mm-hmm. Titan, if you remember. Um, he, he's kind of a traditional slot guy, right? And and they targeted him a bunch on some short and intermediate stuff. So those are, I would say, the three wide receivers to look out for. They've got a bigger dude named Cam Sims who can make mm-hmm. catches down the field um, that they'll throw the ball to once or twice a game. But uh, he's kind of buried down the depth chart right now. So I would say McLaurin will be their most targeted guy. The offense will go through him and Logan Thomas largely. If the Bills are smart and they take McLaurin out of the equation, then Brown and Humphreys and, and Cam Sims have to step up and find a way to make plays. And Brown has a has a could have a plus matchup with Levi Wallace. We'll see if he's able to go um, because that's that's going to be a battle to watch out for to see how cornerback two plays and highly highly contested in Buffalo who who likes the cornerback two and who doesn't. So it'll be it'll be a good battle. I think I think. We'll see what Brown has this week because he could end up factoring with, with Trey White taking McLaurin as much out of the game as he can. That's going to be one hell of a matchup, Trey White and Terry McLaurin. That's oh, going to be – oh, my God. Maybe one of the so best quarterback uh, matchups for the week. So my daily show here in D.C. is from 2 to 6.30 every day on the fan, and we have McLaurin on every Monday. Um, oh, nice. And uh, so we talked to him on Monday, <laughs> and, like, he, he – uh, I mean, as much as you can pump up a corner you're about to play – like he was talking about how good White is, which makes sense, right? He's one of the best in the league. But he talked about how he's fully expecting him to travel with him. He's like, that's kind of what, you know, he's done. And and so I think if Buffalo puts him on McLaurin, and I still think just because of how much they want to use him, again, he had almost 15 targets last week. Like, I think you still help him a little bit. There's no reason not to. Bracket with a safety or, you know, chip on him, you know, coming off the line on some of those little drag routes at the line of scrimmage. Little things you can do. Uh, I like that um, that it should open some things up elsewhere. But as you said, I mean, you, you got, you're right, Kevin. Like Deami Brown or one of these guys has to take advantage of their matchup at that point. <laughs> what do you think about the matchup between Beasley and Kendall Fuller? I, well, so Fuller is interesting. Fuller they signed last year for about ten million per, and he was their top corner last season. And initially, Robin he he played really well. And I thought last year in general, honestly, had a fantastic season. He has struggled the first yeah. couple of weeks. Now they've kicked him back inside. It's just a harder thing to do. I mean, you guys all know this, right? You play inside in the nickel. It just makes sense. You can't use the sideline as your friend. It's easier to play out on the boundary. I, I still have faith that he's going to have a good season and is a good player. Um, but Beasley versus Fuller to me is on paper is advantage Beasley. I mean, you see the targets, you see the catches every week. He's as good as there is in that role at this point, the way they use him in this offense. It uh, just hasn't been smooth yet for Fuller. Uh, so I, I think they still like what they've got there. Look, they wouldn't have they, – they made a pretty unexpected decision. They cut a guy named Jimmy Moreland. They drafted in the seventh round out of uh, JMU last year, had a good rookie season. Nobody really saw it come in at the end of cutdown day. And they did that because they knew they were going to play St. Just on the outside or they drafted in the third round and move Fuller inside. They wouldn't have done that if, if they didn't have confidence he can play. So it's been a rough couple of weeks, but the matchups haven't been easy or great either. It's been Keenan Allen and, you know, it's, it's, they've played. Easily is going to be a problem. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, that is a matchup. If I'm a Bills fan, I would think that they'll try to exploit, you know, something I'd worry about. It's funny, you know, as we talk about this, the whole off season was Washington's defense is so good. And, you know, what is their <laughs> offense going to be able to do? I mean, you go up against the Bills, most teams right now, but certainly Buffalo, even as they're looking to break out on offense. And from a matchup standpoint, you know, you, you do worry about this defense a little bit, just how they've played. 
They gave up. I don't know if you guys saw this number. It's kind of a show. They gave up 14 third down conversions to the Chargers in week one on 19 tries. Wow. Now, that was with wow. the Chargers. The 19th try was a they kneeled down to win the game. So it was really 14 of 18. Wow. And there were a couple of either a drop or a misfired throw. So it could have easily been 16 out of 18, like unheard of success. So you, you have that in, in game one. In game two, you had the Giants offense with Daniel Jones, which is really struggling. And they basically scored 30 points and had 400 yards. So it hadn't been good. I mean, they, they really have to step up on that side of the ball. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, and I just like to just go off of that, like even on the flip side of that. And, you know, everybody want to talk about Josh Allen and in, in, in the season that he's having right now. But one thing I can tell y'all that he's been consistent with since he's gotten here, when it's time for him to rise to the occasion and make the big play, whatever it's lead your team on that game winning drive or get in that first down, he's been efficient on third down. Right now, Josh Allen is, is, is shooting 48% a clip. That's top six in the NFL. So I'll take that all day out of my quarterback, being efficient on third down. On the flip side, Washington is dead last. You know, so <laughs> it's like with these type of style of defenses, they're going to know each other. I mean, Rivera, obviously, you know, mm -hmm. groomed McDermott. So it's going to be like a practice situation. It's like going, you know, it's going to be the same scheme. It's just that who's going to scheme a little bit more better than the other guy, you know. So it could either be an onslaught of points or, you know, I hate to say it, it could be a defensive battle just because on default. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we, we haven't seen them play one of those yet. The way the Bills' defense is playing, I think it's on the table, right? I mean, if, the, if their defense can step up. I love the point about McDermott and Rivera. They know each other really well, obviously. Um, that's going to be a fun little back-and-forth X's and O's kind of deal. Jack Del Rio calls the plays defensively uh, in D.C. and is heavily involved in, in everything they do all week long. It's kind of his defense. Um, Rivera obviously has plenty of say. But, uh, but I think that familiarity just makes for the matchup a little bit more fun. The, the key for Washington on third down, normally you would say, well, stay ahead of the sticks. I mean, they've given up a lot of long conversions. It's just unsustainable. Like, it's gonna, you can't give up third and 10 and third and 12 all season. Um, they've also had too many penalties, uh, a couple of fluke things. But it's about pass rush, really. They got pressure on Daniel Jones about 48% of the time. Week one, they just hit 12% of the time on, on Herbert, which was dead last at, of any team in week one. So they made nice progress, but I give Jones a lot of credit. He slid around in the pocket. You know, it was a lot of pressure, but it wasn't a lot of hits or, or sacks or, you know, that kind of thing. So um, if they get close to Allen, they got to get home. And, and I think that one big adjustment they're going to have to make is the zone read. You know, Rivera talked about this on my radio station this week. You know, they, they, as I said with Daniel Jones, he rushed for 95 and a touch, and it should have been like 115 and two, if not for a, a penalty on a wide receiver way downfield to call one of the touchdowns back. Mm -hmm. Allen's better at that than, than Daniel Jones. I mean, so they got to they gotta be assignment sound up front. Absolutely. I mean, it, I mean, the ways I say that, because, I mean, the Bills online has been struggling. And if anybody want to say, talk about a regression, the Bills online is definitely that right now. And once your line is regression, then everybody's numbers is not going to look good. I mean, amazingly, Devin Singletary is, you know, they're, they're, they got some continuity there running the ball. But Right now, the offensive line isn't stopping anybody. You know, I mean, we got Deion Dawkins still, you know, coming off of COVID, and that affected him, uh, you know, a pretty good deal. Uh, the backups on the edges are, you know, a little bit nicked up. So, 
Um, Feliciano, once again, you know, losing weight was, did he lose too much? It's like uh, uh, our lineman last year lost weight. And then next, you know, he's been shipped off to Cincinnati. You know what I mean? So it's, it, you know, it's one in the trenches. You know, I don't know what we're going to get out, out of the Bills offensive line this week. And then now you're facing guys potentially for Aaron Donalds. You know what I mean? They're an ascending defensive line. All right. They have the potential, you know, the ceiling is off the roof, but they have yet to play like it. Chase Young doesn't even have a sack yet. All right. Now, um, so will that blossom of, uh, against a Bills offensive line who hasn't been playing well? You know, or will the Bills offensive line, you know, be up for the challenge this week and, you know, play like they were playing last year and keeping the pocket clean for Josh to be a little bit more accurate and give them some time to pick defenses apart? And we talked about Chase, right? He's, He's playing well. He just, you know, it's you expect people talking DPOY. You're you're expecting like game wrecking stuff. So you're expecting really you're expecting Khalil Mack, right? Yeah, exactly. Or yeah, or yeah. TJ Watt, or you know, Chandler Jones had five sacks in week one. Like just a game where an offense <laughs> can't do something because you're out there. Um, so it's it's heavy lies the crown kind of thing. Couple guys to look for though. Montez Sweat is really really Ooh. good. Uh, he's their Ooh. other edge defender, and he really dating back to midway through last year is, is more prevalent in terms of the sack category. He's super long. He's got, I think like 98th percentile arms and in the league. I mean, he's a, he's just an action figure looking dude, kind of Julius Peppers like. Um, so he's interesting to, to monitor. And then John Allen, they, they paid uh, their defensive tackle first round pick out of Alabama a few years ago, uh, this off season, over $17 million a year, made him one of the higher paid D linemen in the league. Uh, he's got already, I think three sacks this year. He's got the lead in the team, but he's been awesome at collapse in the pocket. He's a, a both a run stuffer and and a you know pocket collapser, um, but he's just a really really good player. So a couple of guys up front that you guys should know. Yeah, Ron Payne too. Let's not forget about him. You know, yeah, so the player. You know, that he, he that normally I'll tell you he's he had two sacks against the Bucks in the playoffs. I would say he's a lot better like space eating like block attracting magnet type guy. Like he eats the, the line of scrimmage up hasn't necessarily always been hugely impactful in the pass rush, but like if you sleep on him, he can get you like he'll have a sack and a half in a game and he'll be living in the backfield. He's an awesome player. Right. Now the funny thing uh, about this, like we're coming out of the draft uh, a year ago, some people kind of had AJ Espinessa ahead of, of Chase Young in some mock drafts, uh, some mock drafts. I had <laughs> Chase Young over Espinosa, but you see how the two are playing now, and you know taking Espinosa at, at pick fifty-two definitely looks like Mookie. Uh, Mookie, I'll stuff. tell you this, Mookie: if Espinosa was in the body frame and the explosiveness that he was now, mm-hmm. there'd be an actual conversation. But. Oh, but two, yeah. th- 2020 or 2019, AJ Epinesa and Chase Young, we're talking about two completely different players. But mm-hmm. like at 245 pounds right now, how Epinesa is playing, that guy would have got what he would have been a bona fide first round pick, 100. Yeah, yeah, and not to mention Gregory Rousseau was behind uh, Chase Young in sacks that year. He's on the team too. So yeah, and a lot of people knocked him. Team. By the way. Because I, I studied the draft real close. A lot of people clubbing him and saying what he will and won't be. He's I, just watching game passes, the two games they've played so far. I mean, he jumps off the page. Yeah. 
No, he was my dream draft pick for the Bills at number 30. My first dream draft pick was an offensive lineman, but I got peer pressured into not being boring. So I went with Gregory Russo <laughs> instead. Um, but, you know, we're talking about this defensive line that broke out last week, really, against the Dolphins. Uh, and when I lagged out, forgive me if you asked him this when I was trying to get my internet to work. But, you know, how, how do you think that, you know, this offensive line, rookie Sam Cosme out of Texas starting at the right tackle spot, it looks like, how do they match up against this Bills defensive line? Do you think that it could be a long day for the people like Taylor Heineke and Antonio Gibson trying to make plays out of the backfield? I do, which, you know, goes back to my game plan being, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of quick game, short and intermediate stuff. Like I'm not running long developing five and seven step drop deep down the field, 15 and 20 yard routes. Week one, they had problems holding up. I'll say that Heineke helps a lot. He's actually really nifty. You guys will see yeah. and kind of moving around the pocket. Shifty. And he, yeah, even moving off of his mark kind of resets his platform pretty well. Um, whereas Fitzpatrick, I think at this point of his career, maybe might be a little bit more statuesque. Not that he's not still an athlete. I just think Heineke's given him a little bit of an ability to to help the lineman out more. Uh, statistically, that kind of bears out in the, the game and a half he's played. Uh, but I say that to say that Joey Bosa, uh, who, as you'd expect with the Chargers, like he got his – they had a lot more problem with the Chargers than the Giants, and I think some of that comes back to just straight-up personnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I wouldn't give the Bills. Like, the way they've rushed, the, the ability they've had to get to the quarterback, I wouldn't give them that chance. I don't think they're good enough right now to just drop back and, and let Heineke pack the football. Cosme was PFF's highest-graded right tackle wow. in Week 2, I think. Uh, he was on, like, their all-week team. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been really good in the run game. It's been very hit or miss for me in the past game. I don't know if I love that grade from week two, but he certainly made a huge improvement. Um, And then on the left side, Charles Leno is a former Chicago Bear. He Mm -hmm. got released late in the game this offseason in free agency. They signed him for like five million bucks, I think it was. They plugged him in at left tackle. They had a journeyman there at at the time, and and so he became their swing tackle. Like guys become available for a reason generally, right? So um, he's been pretty small for a left tackle, isn't he? He's, I'm not, I guess his frame, you know, maybe slightly below average. I'm not sure. I mean, you, you, he doesn't look small. I'll say that. Like he, he plays at a, at a good size, um, but he's been fine. It's just that I don't think you want to ask him or Cosme on an Island one-on-one with quality rushers to yeah. hold up all game long. They also don't have like a lot of teams might keep tight ends in the block. They've got a guy, an inline guy in John Bates they drafted in the fifth round out of Boise State. But Logan Thomas is a route runner. Like, he's out yeah. running routes. So, you don't want to put too much on their plate. Uh, they've got a right guard in Brandon Sheriff, who was an all-pro last year. Your crazy stat of the night. That was the first all-pro, first-team all-pro for a Washington football team player since 1996. Uh, they, they had not had a first-team all-pro until Sheriff last year. Uh, Chase Roulier, their center, solid. And their left guard position, uh, they had a good competition between two veterans. They traded for Eric Flowers, who came back. Uh, he was here before. He was in Miami. You guys may remember him from the division last year. So uh, the inside, they're pretty good. But uh, those two tackles are kind of what people are still tracking pretty closely. 
Yeah, well, you gave us your game plan. A lot of quick passes. That's what the Steelers did in week one. Ben threw the ball in like under three seconds every single time. It works for him. So you mentioned your game plan. We'll get into predictions. Grant, we're going to let you go last as the non-Bills Mafia member here. Uh, I'll kick it off. I think that I, I, I'm overly confident in a win. And when I say that, usually bad things happen. So, so you can start. <laughs> everyone on Twitter can start blaming me ahead of time. Um, but I, I feel good about the matchups on defense, especially after the conversation we had with Grant tonight. I think it's going to be a Bills 27 to 13 win. Um, and I think I think it's going to be closer for most of the game. I think that seventh uh, or that, that that last touchdown to put it up to 27 probably come in the fourth quarter and be a little bit of an icer. Uh, but that that's how I'm feeling about this one. Kevin, we didn't have an episode of the cap this week because as everybody could tell from this episode of Fully Round Table, Long Island Wi-Fi just does not cut it. Uh, so I didn't get your prediction on Wednesday. Uh, how do you think this one's going to go down? Yeah, I mean, I think the Bills are going to come back amped after that pitiful offensive performance um, at Highmark Stadium just recently. I just don't think that they back that up with another poor one. Uh, I think they're going to get enough done defensively as a second-best team in the league right now, and they're playing like it, only like 146 rushing yards they're allowing, which is a totally underrated story with how bad that the defense has been in past uh, stopping the run. So, I mean, I have the Bills winning this one 30-13. to 13. Uh, wow, I think that's really close. Wow. Yeah. I think, I think McDermott <laughs> plays really well against the style of quarterback. You'll see it. It's, it's, it's when McDermott goes up against a little bit more challenging of a matchup that he starts to struggle and overthink things, but he's historically been very good against, against the Heineke styles of the world. So um, 30, 13. All right, Robin, we're going to go around the room like that. So you're up next. How do you think Ooh. this one's going to go down? Uh, I got 31-17 bills, and I think Diggs and Beasley are going to have good games, and Devin Singletary as well. Mm-hmm. Defensive line, going to get some sacks too. Mm-hmm. Love that. Love every bit of that, Robin. Thank you. Nate, thanks for being here. Your first time on the Folding Roundtable. Have to get you on again before the season's yes. out. But for now, give us a prediction for this Sunday. All right, so first of all, before I give a prediction, let me just give a couple shout-outs. Oh, Kevin Massari is my favorite Yankee fan, and I hate every Yankee fan, so that means something. Same uh, here. I, it, it, what an honor to be on a podcast with Robin because she is just an, just an absolute legend in the Buffalo fan base community. And I, I, I need, need I make no introduction for the Mookie Hawkins. I mean, come on. Mookie. And, I mean, come on. Come on. Uh, and, and Grant – it was a pleasure having you on, man. Um, I am going to go a totally opposite route than uh, than the two before me. I'm going to say Bills 21, Washington 20, and I'm going to say this is a much closer game than anyone thinks. Um, I, I do think that Washington is a really good football team. I think they're going to win the NFC East, and I think for the most part um, the defense that we've seen over the last couple of weeks – more than likely was a fluke. This doesn't mean that I think Josh Allen has another bad game. I just think that more or less there's going to be a lot of long drives, a lot of long 12, 13, 14, 15 play drives in order to score because I just don't think the big play is going to be available for either side. So I'd like this game to be close. Um, I like to pound the under in this one. Uh, I think the under is like 47 and 50, 48 and a half or something. Um, And I'd like to pound the under on this game because I think both defenses are going to show up in this one. Mm -hmm. Love that. I do like the under, I think, as well. Goes in with my score. Yep, I'm good at math. It goes in with my score prediction, too. Mookie, how about yours? Are you feeling a low-scoring affair for this one as well? Um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm kind of like in between. 
Mm-hmm. I'm kind of like in between. I, I think this is going to be kind of like a, a little ugly battle at first due to the trenches. I mean, I I think that, you know, Washington's defensive line are, are, are going to, you know, give the Bills offensive line problems early on. But the numbers don't lie. I think the Bills are still going to be efficient on third down when they need to be. Uh, therefore, it's going to be ugly. Why I say it's ugly? Because it's going to be a lot of field goals kicked in this game. All right. All right. So, um, but it's going to be some points scored. There's going to be some points scored in this matter. I, I'm going to say Bills 29 and Washington 16. Might have a scoregami on that one. Bills 29, <laughs> Washington 16. Uh, Grant, give us yours here. Thanks for being here. Thanks for making the time. I really do appreciate it. We'll let you get back to Washington and everything going on there. And, of course, the awful Thursday night football matchup tonight. I'm sure you're really excited to watch Davis Mills. Uh, but first, you got to give us your prediction. Yeah, I'm very – hey, people have been joning all day around here. Football's football, man. There's two, two types of days. <laughs> yeah. Days where we get the NFL and days where we don't, so I'll take it. Uh, I've got the Bills 27-20 winners. I do think it's going to be closer maybe than people think. I think the two coaches, the familiarity with each other matters. Um, I also mm-hmm. – you know, you guys know this better than I do, but just going back and watching their two games, the offense for Buffalo is not quite clicking yet, and I – Covered Washington and Mike Shanahan used to have an axiom when I covered him every uh, one of his four years here where he once told me it's not who you play, it's when you play them. And so I think if Washington was playing the Bills in two months, I might feel really different and feel like it was going to be lopsided. But right now I kind of like the time of getting them and hanging in this game and kind of mucking it up a little bit. So I I think the Bills are better and will win. But I do think uh, people might be surprised with kind of how physical and, and how close Washington makes it. Yeah, definitely is going to be an entertaining football game. Lots of talent on both sides, and the especially on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, it could be could be a fantasy goldmine for you DFS players out there. Uh, but that will do it for us here on the Folding Round Table for Thursday night. I want to thank everyone for being here. Kevin Masseri from Trainwreck Sports and the Colorful Podcast. Robin Mundy, Buffalo fan base, godmother of Bills Mafia. Nate Geary, WGR 550. Mookie Hawkins, 96.5 FM, 1080 AM. And, of course, our guests from Washington, Grant Paulson, NBC Sports Washington, and all the other things I listed at the beginning of this episode. We'll be back with more Folding Roundtable next week. Same time, same place, but, of course, with a different lineup. For everyone at Trainmix Sports and the Buffalo fan base, good night now.